electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Happy Monday. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Theodore Today with us, Plexo Capital's Low Tony, CNBC contributor, guest hosting with us this hour. And today, NASDAQ trying for a bounce this morning from FANG to defensive names. We're going to break down some of the top picks across the sector. And then the China tech tumble details behind a key JPM downgrade as lockdowns hit the tech manufacturing hub of Shenzhen. And finally, yes. app platforms facing pressure in Russia, how this conflict could mean a new Internet Later this hour. Dee? First up, John, we're going to check in with Dom Chu as the Nasdaq continues to be the laggard this morning, though, Dom, it is up about one third of one percent. It was negative not too long ago. It is still underperforming. And to John's point, there is that bit of a rotational feel right now as people get away from some of those other parts of the market that have been very growth oriented over the last several years into some of the more value oriented trades. But to give you some context around just the the types of movements that we're seeing, if you look within the Nasdaq 100 specifically, that had that had pullback has now seen just about a 20 percent move from the recent highs that we've seen for the Nasdaq overall. If you take a look at one of the big ETFs that tracks the Nasdaq, the QQQ, that move by about 20 percent or so from those highs now puts it at a level where maybe it becomes a little bit more attractive for some folks out there. So, again, we're watching that kind of value trade in growth, if you want to call it that, develop. One other place to kind of keep a close eye on is what's happening with valuations overall within the sectors, specifically within technology and communication services. Those two sectors, key, and they encompass much of that big tech, mega cap tech and communication services, media type trade. If you look at the valuations on a forward basis, the price you pay today for next year's anticipated earnings, we're talking about the lowest levels for both tech and communication services going back towards about April, May of the pandemic era. So that's how the valuations have gotten for right now. The communication services is trading at roughly 17 times forward earnings, roughly 22 times forward earnings for that technology sector. Within that FANG overall trade, the ones that a lot of people watch as an indicator, perhaps, of sentiment around the entire tech trade. If you look at Meta Platforms and Netflix, each of those two stocks has now lost over 50% of their value since the recent highs that we've seen. Amazon's lost roughly 23%, so three components of the so-called FANG index. If you take a look at Apple and Alphabet parent company Google, they are actually outperforming. They have, they're only down roughly 15 to 16% from their recent highs, and Apple and Alphabet over the course of the last year have actually done pretty well, still positive. So if you take a look at the valuation argument, Deirdre, John, low. The interesting part about this is whether or not you really believe that on a forward earnings basis, the multiples are attractive enough if you go back towards the emergence from the pandemic back in 2020, April, May. That's when it becomes a big question for a lot of traders out there, guys. 
Yeah, Dom, that's a great that's a great check of all these different pockets. And Lo, it's great to have you with us for the entire hour. When we think about this tech leadership, it's kind of amazing what we've seen over the last few months, especially when you take a look at, let's say, you know, top 10 companies by market cap. And you see that Meta is actually in danger of falling out of that. You see Saudi Aramco catch up in terms of its market cap with Microsoft. Are we seeing tech lose its leadership right now? And sort of what are the implications of that? Yeah, you know, I thought I like Dom showing that we have the FANG as an index. I think it's time to do something that uh, that Jim Clark said. I'm going to go back in time a little bit. And he said there's two ways to make money, bundle and unbundle. I think it's time to unbundle FANG because we need to start focusing on the fundamentals of each of these businesses that, that comprise that index. And, you know, Personally, I like Apple a lot. I think Apple is extremely well positioned to return back to the, the three trillion market cap and you know achieve over potentially 200 a share. Uh, I think that the fact that there is a massive product upgrade cycle and they're past the worst of the supply chain, um, although we'll have to see how Foxconn plays out in China, I think Apple is looking really good. And then I'd like to to add in Microsoft, because I think Microsoft is a stock that, that should be indicative of the general sentiment for what's happening uh, in tech. But but yeah, I mean, you know, we start to look at at Meta and starting to look at Netflix. You know, those those stocks just continue to be to be punished. Um, Lo, I, I can't help but look at certain stocks, for example, Roku, right? It's 79 percent off of its 52-week high. It's trading just above 100 bucks a share. Uh, Shopify, about 70%, 69% off of its 52-week high, trading at 544 bucks a share. Uh, the thesis behind those names, even pre-pandemic, it, it doesn't seem to have entirely changed. But we do have the Fed doing what it's doing, and we do have sort of the fad uh, <laughs> coming out uh, of maybe giving... <laughs> Uh, valuation to these names, but doesn't that indicate that if you believe fundamentally that the technology transformation that names like that uh, represent continues, that there might be value? I believe that is the case, John. And I think what ends up happening is we have to differentiate between, you know, are we talking about people that are looking on the near term, just very short term, almost, you know, the traders versus folks that are taking a medium and longer term look? And yes, you know, when we look at the fundamentals of the market, just in general, both on the consumer side and on the enterprise side, really not, you know, not much has changed. A lot of the fundamentals are still there, especially when we think about how the pandemic accelerated a lot of the, the behaviors on the consumer side and some of the needs on the enterprise side. So at some point, I think people that have done their research, done the analysis and began to look at some of these names that have just been absolutely punished based on what's happening with fears of inflation and the Fed's response with interest rates, then one should begin to take a look at these because, you know, I would like to think we have to be getting close to the point where these valuations are beginning to look extremely attractive. Huh. Yeah, in some cases, low. it's been more than a round trip, right? Uh, you see them declining past the point they were even at when they began the pandemic. And I guess there's this question. There's a good. Uh, sorry, John, go ahead. I think I, I think you had the next one. No, uh, run with it, D. <laughs> well, you know, there was this, this piece in the journal this morning that was basically looking at a number of tech companies saying if they couldn't transition amid the pandemic, what gives you hope that they're going to be able to do this now? If they weren't profitable then and they were part of this whole 
digital transformation theme, how are they going to be able to do so in an inflationary rising rate environment? Yeah, I mean, look, digital transformation definitely remains one of the driving influences. You know, we have cybersecurity, DevOps tools, infrastructure. You know, there's more workers and vendors that have access to data. There's an increase in cyber attacks. There's, you know, much more stress on the enterprise um, requiring a more holistic decision-making process. And I think that's absolutely right. You know, there are some stocks that, that didn't show the ability to be able to get profitable. But again, I think to John's point, if we apply that same lens to the enterprise stocks, then we have to believe looking forward that these stocks are going to continue to innovate and outmaneuver some of the main players. You know, I like to think of a stock like Snowflake, which is off 50% from its high, you know, is trading at about a 33 rev multiple to 21x forward multiple. But you look at the growth, it has, you know, over 102% revenue growth. Sentinel One off 54% from its high. Similar is about a 32 rev multiple, about a 19 forward multiple with 171% rev growth. I mean, these are companies that are leading the innovation and addressing some of these new trends that were highlighted by the pandemic. So again, I think if we have to take a look, we have to differentiate between the trader perspective and the more whole buyer perspective that's looking more medium and long term. Yeah, and guys, we haven't even talked about China yet. So we're going to turn to a few notes out this morning. JP Morgan out with just a brutal takedown of the sector this morning, saying Chinese Internet names are, quote, uninvestable in the near term for at least the next six to 12 months. The K-Web ETF tracking China's largest names in the space, that is down 6% today, now down more than 40% since the start of the year. Let's start with BABA downgrading the stock to underweight, cautious on the outlook thanks to inflation, weakening consumption confidence. Price target there down to 65 bucks, currently trading at 81 and change, down nearly 7% just this morning. Similar story for JD.com, cut to underweight says the sector-wide sell-off will continue without valuation support, impacting one of its most widely held names. Shares down again today, now by 5.5%. And finally, there's Pinduoduo, price target down to 23, suggesting about a 30% downside risk here. JPM thinks growth in the near term will be disappointing and again cites that lack of visibility in the sector. Those shares down more than 7.5%, John. It is just brutal. Yeah, I thought that... Uh, call on them being uninvestable was months ago, but uh, apparently not everybody got out of the pool. Meanwhile, uh, those downgrades come as a wave of Omicron infections caused large lockdowns across China. Let's get to Eunice Yoon, who's there live from Beijing with the latest. Eunice. Thanks a lot, John. Well, 51 million Chinese are now in lockdown or in partial lockdown, including in the tech hub of Shenzhen. The entire population of the city is being tested for a third time in makeshift testing centers like the one behind me. Shenzhen has ordered all non-essential businesses to suspend operations for a week. Public transport and travel have been restricted. Apple suppliers Foxconn and Unimicron say that they both have activated backup plans. Foxconn said in a statement, due to our diversified production sites in china we have adjusted the production line to minimize the potential impact uh, unimicron also supplies for intel now other chinese cities are tightening curbs as well with the COVID outbreaks so terrible at this stage uh, shanghai has shut schools and is rumored to be diverting international flights to other cities uh, this week 
uh, Beijing has also canceled several big events. Uh, all of that uh, adding up to a COVID wave that's really sparking pan panic selling um, in Hong Kong, especially among dual listed uh, tech shares, uh, Tencent as well as Bilibili, uh, both big names, also got hit by uh, new draft rules out of China's cyber watchdog, which is meant to protect minors for all sorts of online services, including gaming as well as video. Um, investors in these dual listed shares also continue to be nervous about the heightened tensions between the U.S. and China. Uh, especially what this all means for U.S.-listed Chinese firms. The Chinese Foreign Ministry today uh, denied reports quoting U.S. officials as saying that Chinese, the Chinese were asked by Russia to assist with military gear. The uh, Foreign Ministry said that this, this is false information. Uh, China's top diplomat is now in talks with the NSA's advisor, Jake Sullivan, in Rome. Guys? Yes, uh Important detail to add there. Eunice Yoon, thank you. Now, Lo, um, it's not just China. Also in South Korea, we see this wave of Omicron sweeping, particularly, I guess, in places that, that did a pretty good job in, in staying away from getting infected by Omicron in the first place. But in this inflationary environment, is this another supply chain shock and, and labor shock on the manufacturing uh, side in the making that could uh, complicate uh, both the market and recovery? Yeah, it's really unfortunate what's happening. I mean, when we think about the way that China approaches the these variants and just the, the COVID in general is just to lock everything down. And one of the downsides of that is that it, it reduces the ability to have some something of a herd immunity. And also we know that the vaccinations that are used are apparently research shows not as effective. So I think that's a, an, a great point, John, is that, you know, could we be in for another shock? I hope that China and the manufacturers were able to use this period of time to put in some plans for a backup. You know, we'll see what happens with Foxconn. As I mentioned, you know, I'm hoping that Apple has the bulk of these supply chain issues behind it. But you know, this is just yet another chapter in what could potentially be a shock. You know, I just hope that it actually does not play out that way. You know, Lo, to that point, even that Bank of America note this morning uh, seems almost a little outdated already. We just heard Eunice talk about other cities looking at lockdowns. And the note this morning said that other sites can pick up some of the shortfall. But China has this zero tolerance policy and it seems so easy that that could spread to other parts of the country. Sort of what would give you the optimism that the supply chain problems in China would sort of be neutral? The only thing, like I said, is just, you know, that the ability to be able to use the past few months when things were a little more open there to be able to make sure that thing, you know, processes and backups were put into place. And, and we'll see. You know, I, I think this is going to be a, a true test because, we don't want to go back to seeing those disruptions, especially since we have so many micro and macro issues happening at the same time. I continue to say that, you know, the, the global economy has never seen so many moving pieces at the same time. And therefore, we don't have any historical context to point back to to understand how things might play out. It's almost as if we're seeing how things play out in real time. And then we can look and say, well, yeah, that's how we got here. 
Yeah, certainly. Uh, well, Lo, you're going to stay with us for the hour and after the break. We're going to talk about Oracle as a defense play and new reasons to get bullish on Google and Microsoft. TechCheck is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... <laughs> 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. If you're looking for defensive play in an uncertain environment, watch Oracle gut check on the stock this morning as SockGen upgrades it to a buy consistent performance in applications and infrastructure, an increase in CapEx and a, quote, track record of excellent execution. The catalyst there stock is down only 12 percent since the start of the year. So it has held up better than some of its peers in software currently trading just under the $80 mark, call it uh, 76 and change. And John, a few of the other legacy tech names, Cisco and IBM, in positive territory today. Yeah, hard to know where to put Oracle. Is it legacy tech? Is it cloud? That's kind of worked, uh, but it, it has held up better. Meanwhile, it's no secret, Meta Platforms and Disney, two names that have struggled lately. Both stocks down 30% in the past 12 months, while the S&P is up 7% in that time. Joining us now, Arjuna Capital Managing Partner, Natasha Lamb, who's underweight both of these names. And uh, Natasha, we talked about this last time, but I'm wondering from your perspective here, given what's happened in the market since, why not take a flyer on Meta? I mean, I know yeah. it's out of favor, but there's still an important uh, digital marketing business there that, that's been so important for so much of the ecosystem. I think you're completely right. Um, as I've said before, you know, we've been historically underweight the benchmark on Meta, given the risks we've been highlighting for the last uh, five years. Uh, we have about a third of the exposure of the S&P 500. Um, but we do think it's a really important, valuable asset under the right stewardship, and it plays an important role in our society. Um, as activist investors, uh, we're always looking to improve the environmental, social, and governance practices or ESG practices of our portfolio companies. Um, and so, you know, we're here pressing for Meta to do better um, and do think it's a valuable asset. We actually have a shareholder proposal going to a vote uh, at this uh, spring's annual meeting uh, asking about Meta's play for the metaverse, which they see as the next logical step uh, in the company's evolution 
But we really question them plowing $10 billion into it a year when they continue to struggle with hate speech, violence, disinformation um, on their core platforms. Um, so we want to see an independent study of those risks. We want a shareholder vote on whether they should move forward. Uh, and we really need to see some governance improvements at Meta. I mean, is it kind of like uh, the labor of Sisyphus trying to be an activist at a controlled company, though? I mean, unless you can get Mark Zuckerberg to, to disagree with himself at some point, I mean, it doesn't matter how many other people you convince, or, or is it about raising enough um, ruckus around these issues that, that he feels obligated to do something? Yeah, I mean, I think it... I think you're right that it's very difficult. You know, the way that we've always thought about Meta um, is, you know, kind of like, um, you know, you're a satellite around a, an asteroid coming to Earth. You know, it's in, it's going the wrong path and you're trying to knock it off course so that it improves and misses Earth. And I think, you know, what we've seen of late in the regulatory sphere um, is that, you know, the other way to, to deal with an asteroid is to blow it up. We've seen a lot of antitrust um, regulation, talk about, you know, talk about regulation, inquiries, litigation. Um, and so I think there's a chance actually that, you know, the company is facing more than just some criticism from activists, um, but some real antitrust scrutiny. Um, and it, it could be that the company gets broken up, but um, as long-term shareholders, we want to be there um, to help guide the course uh, and, and shine a light on what's happening be because it is such an important asset. Natasha, talk a little bit about your Disney call. You guys are so bearish on the stock. And I wonder if you, you don't think that the ad-supported model, them coming out and saying that they're going to you know, start get charging um, and have that model that they didn't think they would go to before, does that not give you some optimism that they can meet those subscriber numbers, that they can sort of be a beneficiary coming out of the pandemic? I think that Disney does have a play coming out of, out of the pandemic. There is no question about it. Um, we were bearish uh, through 2021 on Disney because of COVID risks. Uh, it was the worst performing stock in the Dow. That was to our benefit last year. And we're still looking for a point to step our clients more fully back in to Disney. Um, that said, you know, if you're looking for a place to hang your hat over the next year when market risks are increasing, um, I don't think either Disney or Meta offer the safety and stability um, that we're necessarily looking for um, because of the struggle with earnings growth, the struggle with profitability. Um, and also where we are at the stage of the market cycle, we really want to emphasize the safety of profitability and growth. Uh, we expect there's going to be earnings slowdowns and revisions over the next 12 months uh, with a slowdown in economic growth. So what we've been doing is looking to names with high return on equity, stable earnings growth, those are going to be names like Alphabet, um, Apple, Accenture, Adobe, uh, all the A names, uh, <laughs> and um, even Oracle, which you mentioned previously, and last but not least, Microsoft. Okay. Now, let's, let's talk broadly about, I guess, policy uh, and the complexion of management. You've got uh, racial and gender pay scorecard uh, coming out right ahead of Equal Pay Day, which I believe is tomorrow. Uh, what did you find different in this year and uh, how well are these companies doing at matching up to their commitments? Absolutely. So Equal Pay Day is tomorrow. We've released our fifth annual racial and gender 
pay scorecard. Um, the, the equal pay day actually marks how long into 2022 women have to work to catch up to what men earned in 2021. So it's a really important day to recognize um, that that disparity is still there. We spearheaded an investor campaign on equal pay in 2015 uh, and have been pressing portfolio companies to disclose and close pay gaps across race and gender. Um, this year, you know, we're looking at how companies are stacking up on the issue beyond simple platitudes of solidarity, which you hear a lot of these days. Um, and unfortunately, the pandemic has been a real one-two punch for women and people of color um, they suffered 80% of the job losses in 2020. Um, and actually, it's, it's kind of ironic because Pfizer topped the list this year. Um, and uh, Adobe, uh, which I'll mention because this is tech check, was the only tech company to earn an A grade this year. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we saw companies like Google and Meta fall one or two letter grades for failing to publish quantitative data on their pay gaps. Meta fell from a C to an F. Um, and then there's companies like Disney, which we were just talking about, uh, who, I, who I think is uh, a turnaround story in more ways than one. They got an F on the scorecard this year, um, but just last week at their annual meeting, Argentine Capital had a pay equity proposal that garnered a 60% vote of investors. That's the highest vote on a shareholder proposal in the company's history. Mm. Um, so the company has been struggling with allegations of pay inequity and investors want them to address it head on. And that's the point of the scorecard. Yeah, they've got quite a few social targets that folks would like them to meet. Uh, Natasha, thank you. Thank you. And some news from the Metaverse. Bored Apes, a few major collections are joining forces. Bored Apes creator Yuga Labs has purchased the rights to two other NFT collections, Cyberpunks and MeBits, worth a combined $3.6 billion. The news as Yuga does another funding round targeting more than $5 billion valuation. But of course, amid declining crypto prices, some are warning that the NFT market could be seeing a slowdown. Yet NFTs have been front and center at South by Southwest in Austin. And our Julia Borston has been tracking it all. Julia. Deirdre, that's right. NFTs are very much in the spotlight at South by Southwest this year as a range of companies showcase how they could be used to build community and also to unlock value around content for musicians and other artists that are specifically here in Austin this week. Now, a range of activations showcasing NFTs in the metaverse are helping newcomers understand, set up their wallets and scan codes to either buy NFTs or download free ones that are being given away here this week. Now, Doodles, which has issued 10,000 NFTs, which sold for between 350 and $330,000, it hasn't seen any price dip, says it's giving its owners the ability to unlock special content at this event that we were at. They're also selling physical merchandise, such as T-shirts and sculptures, to help reach a new community with their brand. They're also serving coffee from a brand built by a Doodles NFT owner. I think NFTs are additive, mostly, to either existing communities or when you're trying to start a community. And it's just a great way to have accountability for your brand. Um, you know, we provide experiences for holders um, and they, you know, in turn, there's more demand for the product that we're selling. 
Meanwhile, a Fox's Web3 division blockchain Creative Labs is helping the musicians and filmmakers here build NFTs based on their content. People can then download those NFTs to their phones. I did a demo of it. They're also turning tickets to live events into NFTs that show proof of attendance. We thought this was just the perfect place to try to mainstream the technology that, you know, to date, I think has been fairly niche and, you know, is it within a certain audience. And we're really trying to democratize that. And South by was kind of this perfect platform for both the fans and the creators. Now, it's not just virtual goods, but building avatars to bring into virtual worlds as well. 180 cameras scan me to build this avatar, which I can then drop into virtual spaces and, of course, dress with virtual shoes that I can buy. Now, one big sign about enthusiasm around avatars just today, it was announced that former Disney CEO Bob Iger has joined the board of and invested in Genies. That is a startup that makes avatars, particularly avatars for celebrities that can move across different platforms. Guys, back over to you. Julia, thanks. Hey, Lo, uh, you buying any bored apes or crypto punks? <laughs> Not yet. I think we're in a little <laughs> bit of an NFT bubble right now, but I fundamentally do like the attribution that allows artists to have some access to downstream revenue. Yeah. So I think the fundamentals are definitely there, this, but I think it's just dominated by a lot of people that miss crypto. You know, what I miss as proof of yeah. attendance at a concert is the actual paper ticket with the date printed on it that you could frame that that as price. Anyway, turning <laughs> to so EVs. old fashioned. <laughs> I'm very, I'm an old man. Turning to EVs, uh, competition is spurring manufacturing investments across Europe. Uh, on Friday, I spoke with Volkswagen Group CEO Herbert Dies in a Fort Knox one-on-one. Dies joined me from the back of his new electric VW minibus, telling me with Elon Musk moving into his backyard in Germany, he is stepping up his game. We are only 200 kilometers away from uh, Grünheide, which is uh, Elon's uh, newest plant in Europe. So this will be also a fierce competition. We just decided, because, you know, our plant is very old. We have our plants probably 70, 75 years. Uh, Dies also said Volkswagen Group and Tesla are very different. Tesla, a blank sheet pioneer. VW, uh, a transformation transforming this big machine or organism, you might call it, into this new world of EV only probably in, in only 10, 15 years time and then fully connected. You know, the cars are really becoming internet devices now, which, is, which are areas where we have to learn, learn fast to be competitive with the, uh, with the new entries. And this makes our, let's say, the two tasks totally different. Volkswagen Group includes Audi, Bentley, Ducati, Lamborghini, Porsche, and others. The uh, 10 to 15 years, EV only, potentially, is a lot of work to do to get there. Yeah, a lot of ambitions, a lot of plans. We'll see if they can make it. Speaking of Tesla, John, even Elon Musk taking a hit from inflation. But could higher prices be a good thing for some tech stocks? Our next guest says so. We'll discuss. Tech Check is back in three. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? 
It's Canvas AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm George Boza with John Ford and CNBC contributor Lo Tony from Plexo Capital joining us this hour. Stocks are in the green right now, although the Nasdaq is still underperforming. The Dow up about 340, the Nasdaq down by about 50. China-related names and software are the worst performers in tech. Plus, Morgan Stanley initiating Peloton at neutral, saying there's reason to be bullish. Those details later this hour. But first, a news update with Rahel Solomon. Good morning, Rahel. Hi, Deirdre. Good morning. And here's what's happening at this hour. Oil prices are continuing their rapid pullback. West Texas Intermediate briefly dropped below $100 a barrel. The trading is driven by hints of progress at peace talks between Russia and Ukraine and also COVID lockdowns in China. Gasoline and heating oil futures are also down sharply. Unsurprisingly, though, energy stocks are among the biggest losers. The S&P 500's energy sector is the only one with a significant decline today. Coterra is down about 10 percent. Occidental Petroleum dropping about 5 percent, although Occidental Petroleum still up about 80 percent this year. Treasury yields, meantime, jumping to two and a half year highs. This as the Fed is expected to raise interest rates for the first time in three years on Wednesday. The yield on the 10 year going above 2.1 percent. And a group of House Democrats has asked a federal watchdog to review the U.S. Postal Service's contract for next generation delivery vehicles. They want to make sure that the multi-billion dollar deal complies with environmental regulations. You're now up to date. Deidre, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you. Turning now to inflation and tech, Elon Musk says the ongoing pressure is causing higher input prices for Tesla and SpaceX. And separately, Uber said on Friday that it's adding a new fuel free to help fuel fee to help drivers face rising gas prices. Now we will see if Lyft does the same soon. Founders Fund Keith Raboy also spoke to us last week and says that he sees a wave of layoffs and company failures coming. Take a listen. Well, I've been calling it a fully fledged.com crash uh, for all, all of 2021, actually. This was very obvious to me starting last year that we were going to have a correction that was equal and equivalent to 2000. And I think we're at least at March of 2000. I don't know if we've hit June 2000 yet. Our next guest, though, sees opportunity in the current environment. Joining us now, tech investor David Friedberg of the Production Board and Metro Mile. David, good morning. It's great to have you. First, uh, why don't you address what Keith Verboy told us last week? Do you think that even though if there's opportunity, we could be in another sort of fully fledged dot com crash, as he called it? Yeah, I think there's definitely a significant correction ahead. Um, you know, over the last couple of years in the low interest rate environment, we've seen a lot of businesses that I would say are very speculative, meaning you can kind of make a bet that's 10 or 15 years out. And, um, you know, the market activity is really treating these businesses like trading cards. You know, you kind of come in, you pay a price and you hope that someone else will pay a higher price. 
uh, versus kind of, you know, achieving, you know, fundamental uh, growth and profitability in that business before you're kind of realizing a return. And so now we're kind of returning to normal where you have to show that there's unit economics and growth that can go hand in hand in order for the business to be valuable over the long run. And as a result, I think we're going to see a lot of those other businesses kind of fall to the wayside. Funding's going to dry up and folks are being very selective on where they're doing follow-on rounds and supporting businesses in their private portfolio. So, David, who's showing that? When you talk about unit economics, are you talking about pure profitability or do things like adjusted EBITDA work? Is there a world in which they work in the current environment? doesn't feel like it. Yeah, look, I mean, how you kind of define profitability from an adjusted EBITDA or operating cash flow point of view, I think is, is, is business market dependent. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's important to show that you can kind of, you know, make money and grow um, in order to kind of get a significant multiple on your business. Um, and so, you know, if that, that's the job of the investor is to figure out, you know, are you actually making money or are you creating kind of the artifice of making money? Um, or the artifice of growth by spending money. Um, and so, you know, that, there, that, that is kind of where all this stuff is going to be the wheat and the chaff over the next couple of months here. Um, and there is a lot of stuff that looks like it's growing, but will never make money, or looks like it's making money, but it won't grow. And, um, and so we're going to see that kind of be one end of the bifurcation. And the other end of the bifurcation are those really, you know, significant businesses with pricing power um, and great unit economics that improve as they scale, and those sorts of businesses will really benefit, um, you know, over the coming months. And so, you know, they're, 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 this is all going to be kind of worked out, I think, over the next few months in both public and private settings. David, this is Lo. I just wanted to ask about your work that's been done on, on deglobalization in particular and how that is seen as a driver for certain types of companies that will benefit. Can you speak to what types of companies are, are really poised to benefit medium term to long term from deglobalization and some of the other trends? Yeah, I, you know, it's pretty evident that um, a lot of companies that have been dependent on offshoring and supply chains um, uh, that, that, that aren't um, sourced in the U.S., at least U.S. companies, are trying to rethink how do we onshore and how do we build here? Um, I definitely think that there is going to be redundancy built into global supply chains over the next several years as a result of both COVID and the Russia-Ukraine crisis. And as we've seen global trade kind of shut up, uh, we've uh, significantly rethought how we're building our supply chains for manufacturing, for food, um, for energy. And there are a number of industries and a number of businesses that can kind of stand out in that context, especially folks that are involved in in infrastructure, folks that um, businesses that that do well um, as we kind of onshore, as we build new things, um, on, on multiple contexts. You know, uh, semi cap equipment, um, applied materials, uh, LAM, KLA. I think that whole industry is going to benefit as we build redundancy into in semiconductor manufacturing, comms equipment, um, biotech equipment supplies like Thermo Fisher and Illumina, and then um, you know the. Uh, the folks like Caterpillar and Deer, uh, there's a lot of mining and a lot of agriculture infrastructure that's going to get built out in markets that, um, that are kind of underdeveloped today. And we need to kind of start to develop more aggressively in order for us to keep up with um, and to, to kind of handle the shocks to the system that we just went through over the past two years. David, what does your idea of deglobalization mean for cryptocurrencies and the dollar's uh, dominance? You said that Bitcoin wins? 
Yeah, look, I think um, Bitcoin, I, I've been a crypto skeptic from the beginning um, in the sense that the only activity I really saw and the only kind of utility I saw was this stored value notion uh, where, you know, Bitcoin is a place to put money and hope that the value goes up and then you sell it later and you make money. So, you know, it becomes a speculative asset, not a productive asset. There does seem to me today to be real utility in Bitcoin, particularly as you see these actions with taking entire countries and banking systems off SWIFT and um, effectively canceling chunks of the global economy and global trade. And Bitcoin itself at that point becomes a safe haven. Um, and this has been something that many folks have kind of, you know, uh, screamed would happen one day for years. And, you know, Bitcoin has largely kind of, um, you know, been this theoretical in that construct. But now I think we can see the utility of Bitcoin playing out in that construct. Now, meanwhile, there's so much money that's gone into Bitcoin that has been built around the speculative um, bet. Uh, and so we're seeing that money come out as people are, are de-risking portfolios. So the price of Bitcoin, to me, feels a little bit depressed. But I, I don't know what the right price is. But I do see the utility of Bitcoin over time really playing out in this context of deglobalization. I just think deglobalization is the big bet of the next five to ten years. Yeah, fascinating insights. And we see Bitcoin below 40,000. Uh, David, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Meanwhile, app platforms facing big pressure in Russia. A look behind the curtain with new details of threats and coercion against Apple and Google. That's later this hour. Don't go away. The war in Ukraine shining a light on the role of social media. It's something closing bell anchor Sarah Eisen talked about with Europe's most prominent tech regulator this weekend at South by Southwest. Sarah joins us now with that exclusive. Hey, Sarah. Hi, good morning, John. It has been a critical news source on war updates. And at the same time, it's being weaponized. Social media, force for good and for evil, according to Margaret Vestager, the European antitrust commissioner that scares Silicon Valley and has lobbied lobbed millions of fines and charges at Google, Facebook, Apple, and others for bad behavior. I did ask her about reports of Facebook allowing users to call for violence against Russians and Russian soldiers, even murder of its president, and whether that was right that Facebook should do that or whether they should censor. Listen. Well, I think it's, it's, a, it's a very good illustration of, of how difficult this is. Uh, and if you're, if you're Facebook, if you're sort of the public space, if you're the equivalent of, uh, of, uh, of the square in front of the city hall, where you would have the demonstration where people would say things that you would find offensive, but in a situation like this, when you have an aggressor uh, going to war against someone completely innocent, I, I think you need to figure out how to balance this, how to enable people actually to say what they want to say. She actually seemed pretty supportive there of it, even though hate speech is banned in Europe on and offline. There also are reports today that Facebook has since clarified that it still will not allow posts calling for the death of a head of state. Meantime, Vestier, for her part, is in the final stages of more regulation. The Digital Markets and Services Act, new rules to limit tech companies around competition and enforce content moderation. 
one that's been criticized for discriminating against U.S. tech companies, a charge she's heard before. She's also noted she's far along with her Apple cases, both a general case and a specific Spotify complaint about the App Store, one that she charged Apple with anti-competitive behavior around streaming music. You can hear more from our interview on Closing Bell today, Deirdre. Very excited for a brand new show and to kick it off with (laughs) Europe's top tech cop on the beat. So are we. And it's so important to listen to what Vestier says, because a lot of what they do over there is followed by D.C. I cannot wait for more of that interview later this afternoon. And uh, the new and improved Closing Bell launching today alongside with an interview with Guggenheim Scott Minard at 3 p.m. Eastern. And just ahead, the premiere of Closing Bell Overtime, anchored by Scott Wachner. That starts at 4 p.m. Eastern every day now here on CNBC. Tech Tech is back in just a moment. Interesting note out of Morgan Stanley this morning. So we're going to do a gut check on Peloton. MS initiates the stock at equal weight, but leans bullish. Price target there up to 32 with a bull case of 69 bucks. That optimism contingent on a price cut for the bike and greater success in Peloton's product line outside of that legacy product. It's also worth noting that there's a bear case of $11 a share, and that's based largely on churn and customer acquisition cost. Tech Check is back in just a moment. Stay with us. Pressure on tech giants is growing in Russia. The Washington Post out with a new report detailing threats to Google, Apple and more by Russian agents. Uh, in one case, the top Google exec in Moscow being told by Kremlin agents to take down an app or risk being taken to prison. Steve Kovac joins us now with those details. And Steve, it plays into a topic that we've talked a lot about in relation to China, but we're really seeing this happen in Russia right now. And that is the splintering of the Internet. Yeah, that's right, Deirdre. This is the so-called splinter net, where there's a version of the Internet in Russia, a version of the Internet in China, and then the rest of the Western world. Everyone kind of agrees that's going to be a bad thing. And the point we have right now with these big tech companies and their app stores in these countries is kind of towing the line. When do they obey the laws and when do they push back against these governments? This is uh, particularly a scary case with direct intimidation from the government in Russia. Uh, But we've seen uh, Apple deal with this before, for example, in China with those VPN apps like you're just mentioning. And Tim Cook's stance here is, hey, look, it's it's a net positive if we keep the App Store active and kind of cut away from certain of these apps that the governments want us to. So it's not a perfect answer, but basically these companies see it as a larger positive to keep the App Stores active and take away the apps the governments demand. Uh, Lo, how much is the calculus changing quickly for the uh, platform makers in Russia? It has to be. Um, those are scary comments. And, uh, you know, boy, it's, that's tough. That's really tough. It is indeed. Uh, quick programming note. Don't miss an exclusive interview with the CEO of Adobe, Shantanu Narayan, here on Tech Check tomorrow. Uh, let's get to the half right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.